Lent is a season of conversion, a season of repentance. We know that from the very beginning. We know that from Ash Wednesday, and we know it from all our experience of Lent. But that doesn't make it an easy thing to do. It's not an easy thing to repent. Part of why it's difficult is that it involves admitting that we have sinned, exposing that shameful truth to the light of day, which is never an easy thing to do. That's why going to confession is never an easy thing to do. We have to say out loud the things that we would rather not admit. Perhaps part of our difficulty is that in our experience in human relationships, it seems better off to hide, to hide our offenses. You know, you can think of things you did as a child, maybe some offense, and then in order not to get caught, you lied about it, and then you realize, oh, that's two now. <laughs> but nothing happened, no consequence, no one knew what you did. So it, it, there's a kind of psychological training there that says, see, better off just leaving it unspoken and just forget about it. And there's a certain temptation involved there. You know, we're still in the first week of Lent and we're talking about the temptations in the desert. Well, one of the temptations is to just pretend that we're not sinners or that we haven't sinned, or at least we haven't done certain things that we really did do. Satan would love to leave us in the dark and unrepentant. He would love that. So he'll say, oh, it's, not that, it's not that important. Nobody knows anyway. Nobody knows what you thought or what you did or what was going on inside. So why bother telling anyone? Just make it worse. See the temptation. Well, we have to fight temptation in Lent. And if we're going to make progress, we have to admit that we are sinners, that we have sinned, and we have to be specific. This was my sin. This is what I did. This is what I did so many times, or thought, or said, or what I didn't do, that, I, that the Lord wanted me to do, and I didn't do it. Now, what we learn in today's first reading, and, and, and this helps us with the process of repentance, we learn what God thinks about this process of repentance. This is from the prophet Ezekiel. And the Lord says, if, if a wicked man turns away from his sins, if he turns away from sin, if he, if he repents, well then, he can, he can recover, he can live. I love this line. God says, do I indeed derive any pleasure from the death of the wicked? Do I want sinners to die? Do I want people to suffer for their sins? Do I not rather rejoice when he turns from his evil way that he may live? You see what God likes? He likes it when people repent. He's, he wants people to be saved. He wants us to be saved. And it's that desire of the Lord to save us that gives us encouragement to do this hard work of repentance. If we listen to the lie, again, another temptation, another lie from the evil one that says, God is really angry with you about your sin and he doesn't 
want to let you go. He, he wants to hold you accountable. He's waiting to punish you. If you want to listen to that lie, you're going to make it much harder to repent because you, you go back to that psychological experience of childhood and say, well, be better off not to bring it up. Better to keep it secret. And then maybe God won't be angry. He won't know. Of course, it's not true at all. He already knows. <laughs> he knows everything. Okay, now this reading from Ezekiel brings up another trap, and that is that if repentance is such a great thing, and, and, and that's what God wants us to do, to turn from goodness and commit evil is really a terrible thing. And this is what he says, if a virtuous man turns from the path of virtue to do evil, well, can he do this and still live? Well, he's, now he's going to suffer the consequences of his evil doing. And then the Lord knows that we'll object to this logic and say, well, that's not fair. That's not fair. I mean, he's a good person. He, he lived a good life. You're going to blame him now for the evil he, he did at the end? And see, we put this judgment on God like he's not fair. Well, it's not that God isn't fair. He wants to save this man as much as he wants to save the sinner who repented. But the person who turns away from the path of virtue, the one who turns away from God, is cutting himself off from life. So it's not, and this is why the Lord says through the, through the prophet Ezekiel, Hear now, house of Israel, is it my way that is unfair, or rather, are not your ways unfair? And the answer is, of course, God's ways are fair. In fact, more than fair, because he's more willing to be merciful than, than just. And our ways are unfair, because we think that when we sin, we should be forgiven, or at least it should be considered insignificant, and that when we do good, we should be rewarded, and that should overcome all our sins. We say, well, we want it both, both, we want it both ways. If we... If we sin, we should be forgiven, and if we're righteous, well, then we should be rewarded and our sins should be forgotten. That's what the, that's what the uh, prophet Ezekiel brings up here. But the point, or I think the central point here is God does not derive any pleasure from the death of the wicked. He doesn't want people to get caught in sin. He wants us to be free, and in order to be free, we have to repent. We have to let go of the trap. I love this line from the psalm. It makes the same point. This is Psalm 130, the De Profundis psalm. Out of the depths I cry to you. This is the line. If you, O Lord, mark iniquities, Lord, who can stand? If you hold our sins against us, if you keep the record, uh, strict justice, well, who can stand? Who, uh, who of us is, is not sinned? But with you is forgiveness that you may be revered. So if you hold it against us, well, we've got no chance. But the fact is, you're a forgiving God. You, you want to forgive us if we'll just let go of the sins ourselves. Okay, so that's the great thing about Lent, great thing about the process of repentance, as difficult as it is, it's in conformity with the will of God. If we repent, well, that opens the door for God to shower us with abundant blessings. Now we come to today's gospel, and we run into a different problem. Well, it's the same problem, but it's under the veneer of righteousness. There's a, there's a show of righteousness, of holiness, but there's no real change inside, and that's the condition 
of the scribes and the Pharisees. So this makes it even harder to repent because we look good and everyone thinks we're good. So why stand up and say I'm not really as good as I look and just ruin it? And that's the scribes and the Pharisees. So Jesus says, this is from the Sermon on the Mount, I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, now we know he wants us to enter the kingdom of heaven. So he's giving us a constructive warning here not to be like the scribes and the Pharisees. Well, what's their problem? Hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. This goes back to what we learned on Ash Wednesday. Don't go doing religious acts or, or seemingly good works just for the sake of impressing people because you'll get your reward in this life, the reward of having people think highly of you, at least for a little while. And that's it. That's it. Who, who judges us on Judgment Day? The people who, who thought we did a good thing or, or the Lord? <laughs> the Lord is the judge. So no sense wasting our time trying to oppress people. But that's the scribes and the Pharisees. They live on the surface. I ran into a, an expression, I learned this very recently, that describes this, I think so anyway. Banal naaso santong kabayo. Apparently everybody knows that expression except me. You know, and, uh, and a very popular song, I learned that, a very popular song, maybe it's still popular. I looked it up last night, in fact, because I heard it again. What's this santong kabayo? And uh, what's this banal naaso? So, uh, yeah, it's about hypocrisy. Does everyone know that song? I never heard of it before. I never heard the expression before, but it's about hypocrisy. And that's right. Hypocrisy should be exposed for the ugly, ugly thing that it is. It should be criticized. And, and Jesus does it all the time. Huh? Remember his, his, his very sharp criticism of the, of the Pharisees? You're like whitewashed tombs. You're, you're, you look good on the outside. You're like someone who washes the outside of a cup and leaves the inside dirty. Santon caballo. That, that's, I think, I think that's the point. Now, I might, I hope there's not a nuance that I'm missing and I hope it's not a bad word or something. But anyway, from what I understand, it's about hypocrisy. And that's the point here. Now, Jesus then turns to one example. Uh, uh, there's lots of ways to be hypocrites, but the example he brings up is the sin of murder, killing, and the associated sin of anger. And he says, okay, the commandment is you shall not kill. And the Pharisees say, well, we don't kill. We haven't killed anybody. Never. Never killed anybody. Therefore, I'm righteous. And then he says, well, what about anger? Whoever is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoa. <laughs> it's easy for us to say I haven't killed anyone, but it's not easy for us to say I haven't been angry at anyone. Of course we've been angry. And the question is, well, what's, what's, what are you doing with that? That strong inner movement against someone. Are you just pretending that it's not so? Are you just glossing it over? Say, I, it's, I gave that up for Lent. And not really changing? Well, then, well, then we're not going to be any better off than the scribes and the Pharisees. What Jesus says is, you have to deal with this inner problem and and work out 
a reconciliation with your brother, with your enemy, your opponent. Now, just to say a few practical words about this, sometimes we can't reconcile because our opponent has no interest. That that doesn't get us off the hook. We can't say, well, you know, he slammed the door in my face three times already, I'm not going to do any more. Yes, you don't have to keep... You don't have to keep walking into a closed door, but you do have to open your heart. The, 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 the inner change is still a requirement. Can't pretend like everything's fine because he cut himself off and he's going to hell anyway. No. <laughs> do you pray for that opponent? Are you willing to forgive? Are you, are you holding a grudge? Well, then you're part of the problem. Jesus says, no, let go, let go. And, and don't come in front of the altar and go, don't come and do religious things if you still have this inner problem. See why this is a great Lenten reading. We are called to repentance, to conversion, all of us, because we're all sinners and our righteousness does not surpass that of the scribes and the Pharisees unless we take these steps. So with confidence in God's mercy, with the awareness that he has, he has, he takes no pleasure in our being, looking good and not being good. He takes no pleasure in the death of anyone who, who sins. With confidence that he wants us to be saved, we turn to him. We turn to him and we say, if you, O Lord, mark iniquities, who can stand? But with you is forgiveness. With you is forgiveness that you may be revered. Thanks be to God. We have a merciful Savior.